Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into the new Believe Texans podcast. I am your host, extraordinaire Cole Thompson, and we have so much to discuss But let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. I know this is a brand new show. I am very excited to be here. And more importantly, I'm excited to give you as much knowledge on the Houston Texans during the 2021 season as possible. So before we go any further, let me just give you a little bit of background about me so you know who I am, what I represent, what I do, and more importantly, why I should be the number one podcast you listen to on all things Houston Texans. I am a native Texan, was not born here, was born in Denver, Colorado, but moved here when I was two years old, have lived in this state basically my entire life besides the time I was away at college and during a little bit of time when I was living across the country doing internships and whatnot, but overall I have been in Texas my entire life. Most of the time I have been living in the greater Houston area, currently living downtown Houston, covering the Houston Texans for TexansDaily.com, part of Sports Illustrated. So I am there every single day. I am hearing what David Cully has to say. I am hearing what Nick Casario is saying, and I'm watching the players up close and personal. So if there's one thing that you can take away from me is this is not a fan podcast. This is not a guy who just has, you know, little beliefs here and there on what to like, what not to like, what to think of this Texans team based on what you're seeing from afar. I am watching it up close. I am seeing it in person. And that means I have an in-depth analysis ready for you every single episode. So what you need to do is hit that subscribe button. Make sure you stay along with me throughout the 2021 season and we will get through it together. So let's go ahead and talk about the big subject today. And I'm only going to talk about two things for the very first episode. We can always talk about more next week, but let's go ahead and talk about the roster trim downs. 53-man roster is officially set, and there's two things I take away from this. Let's go with the first big one, five running backs. Everybody probably is saying, well, why would they keep five running backs when they really don't need to? More importantly, most teams keep three running backs. Well, David Culley and Nick Casario, you got to realize, both come from systems that are designed based off running plays. Every single year, it feels like New England is a top 10 rushing attack team because they play the running back by committee role. And you're seeing that once again in Foxborough. J.J. Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, James White, Damian Harris. These are guys you constantly see being named in that running back by committee backfield. And they were so talented that they were able to trade away Sony Michelle for a fourth round pick because he just didn't fit inside of already a jam-packed backfield. And then when you go ahead and look at David Culley, he last spent the two seasons with the Baltimore Ravens. And during that time, Baltimore finished with the number one rushing attack in back-to-back years. In large part, that does help out when you have a 1,000-yard rusher at quarterback in Lamar Jackson, but the point is still the same. They love to run the ball. They come from offenses that are known for running the ball. So having five running backs on this team actually should not be that big of a surprise. Scotty Phillips had a fantastic preseason, one of the more up-and-coming names that I thought was on this team, and really showed why he deserved to be on that final 53-man squad. Then you had David Johnson. I don't think you could have cut him because if you would have taken such a big salary cap hit, and you don't want to have that when you know that you already have a guy, and more importantly, when you trade away DeAndre Hopkins, whether that is this regime, last regime, doesn't matter. When DeAndre Hopkins left and David Johnson came in, that was something that I think was automatically, we are holding on to this for the rest of our lives. Until his contract is up, we are holding on to him. We cannot release him. And it's not that we can't release him because of we don't want to. It's we can't release him because of this will only make this trade work 
look even worse than what it is. So he was guaranteed a roster spot. Then you had Philip Lindsay. This is, to me, the most complete back of all of the five. He can do a little bit of everything. He's shown that he can work in the passing game. He's shown he can work between the trenches. He's shown that he has some good, maybe not home run speed, but good open field speed. So if he gets that second level defense, he's probably getting getting six, seven yards in the play. So those are things that you got to consider when looking at this rushing attack. And then you have the likes of Mark Ingram. That is your veteran. And more importantly, he has spent time already working in Cully's offense, looking in what Cully wants to run during his time in Baltimore. So with that in mind, it's very easy to dictate and understand why that was always going to be the option for you when trying to run the ball. I don't think Mark Ingram's actually going to play that that much. He'll probably be a third down back, maybe a change of pace back. But the thing with him is he's coming in to just set the tone. He's coming in to be that vocal leader, that veteran presence defensively. He's in there to be that guy. He's not in there to be, you know, a full-time runner. If I was to say the order of running backs I would see, uh, number one would be Philip Lindsay. I, that, that's at least what I would do. He looks to be the most complete. Number two would actually be David Johnson. It doesn't matter if you're starting Tyrod Taylor or Deshaun Watson or Davis Mills. And we'll talk about Deshaun Watson in just a minute because I know a lot of people are going to want to hear about that. You want him as your pass catching back. You want him to be that James White role, but a little bit bigger, a little bit stockier. Still have a decent amount of speed, but just a little bit bigger in the run game. So those are some things I think you have to consider. On top of that, then I would go afterwards, Scotty Phillips. He really impressed. He really did. I don't know what he will be. I don't know if he'll be a third down back. I don't know if he'll be, you know, an, an inclusive name if, if, if he even will have a role on this offense, but he will be a name to watch for consistently, for sure. Finally, you have, I would say, Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram is your third down back. He is your change of pace player. He is your short yarded situation. That's where you want to utilize him. That's where you want him at the best. He's basically a vocal presence. And then Rex Burkhead. Uh, Burkhead was the name that I would have actually cut. If I had to choose to keep four running backs on this roster, I would not have kept Burkhead. I didn't think he had that great of a camp. I didn't think he had that great of a, you know, I didn't think he had that great of an offseason. He's coming off of an injury already. And he just doesn't have that zip that he had in Cincinnati. He never had it in New England. He just kind of was a New England player. And when you think about it, Nick Casario coming from New England, if they're trying to make this Patriot South, that's why he's on the roster. Like that's the only reason he's on the roster. But this is why you kept five running backs. One of them is going to be inactive every single week. And in my opinion, the toss up right now is between Scotty Phillips and Rex Burkhead being the one who's inactive. I would go with Phillips. He's younger. He's a little bit faster. He offers a little bit more in the pass protection set. That really is beneficial behind this offensive line. So I would go with him. But at the same time, I think Burkhead may contribute a little bit more in special teams. And those are things that David Culley is looking for. Those are things that this team is looking for, what Casario is looking for. It's reasons why some of these players made the roster. It's why guys like Comer, Grugier, Hill are on this roster. Why Joe Thomas is on this roster why you have likes of Tavari Thomas, why you have likes of uh, Tremont Smith, why these guys are on the roster, because they offer something in the special teams game. And sure, special teams is just one minor part of the big storyline, but you want to be able to have this one minor part be a factor. The best teams in the NFL are ones that can win on every single level, offense, defense, special teams. I don't really know what the offense is going to be. I don't, and we're going to talk about that in a quick second, but I don't really know what it is. I know the defense is going to be better than what it was last year, but how much better? How much are we actually taking into consideration that Houston, with their nine turnovers, I think it was actually 10 turnovers. 
Yeah, I think it was 10 turnovers. Takeaways, my bad. Takeaways this off this uh, preseason. They had nine last year, 10 this preseason in three games. I don't know what they're going to offer. I don't know if they're going to be as stable as people are making them out to be. I don't know if they're going to offer that same impact that we see every single play you know, of years past. I do know, though, that the special teams should be better than they ever were because if you also have Andre Roberts back there, Desmond King could be a punt returner, and they do have a lot of good tacklers on special teams. So Cam Johnson had a really good camp. I think Kaimi Fairbairn does enough with kicking. They could probably pin guys deep back, probably in the 20, you know, the, the 15, 20 yard range, really do a nice job in the backfield there. That really sets yourself up for a big time play. Now, the other side of things that I want to talk about, Houston also kept five of another position, five wide receivers. That feels a little weird. And it feels weird because of they really only kept three for week one. Brandon Cooks, Chris Conley, and Nico Collins, the rookie. And I know I just said Andre Roberts. Roberts is not playing. Like, Roberts, he is not playing on the likes of the wide receiver court. He is there for one reason, kickoff return. He's an all-pro return man. That is his job. That is where you're leaving him. Now, they do have Anthony Miller, and Anthony Miller is expected at some point to play this season, according to Casario, but that doesn't mean he's playing week one. So having five wide receivers leads me to my next subject, which was who was the biggest roster cut that surprised me. It was Kiki Kuti. Now, that doesn't mean that Kiki was good. He had a very average camp, and at this point, after four years with the team, everyone's going to talk about the analytics and how Kiki, you know, did this and how he had a top 15 finish in, yard, in yards per catch under seven yards per play. Like, yeah, that's great. He still really wasn't that great throughout the preseason, and he definitely wasn't that great during practice camp. So him being left off the roster, actually, I understand and I'm kind of okay with, especially after you look at the fumbles that he had last year, you look at some of the production issues. He was one of those guys who you know, definitely was already a bubble candidate and it just didn't work out. But because of you don't know Anthony Miller's status, if you were to say Anthony Miller playing week one, 100%, it makes sense. It works out. I totally get behind it. I back it. I 100% support it. But you didn't do that. What you did was you said, okay, we're going to keep Anthony Miller and keep five running backs. And now we're either going to play Nico Collins or Chris Conley in the slot. And we're going to hopefully make this work when we run a three wide receiver set. That's really what it felt it felt like because of guys like Jordan VC, guys like um, uh, Chris Moore, they're on the practice squad, but they're not on the final 53-man roster. So to me, that feels like they're going to go add a name. And there is a name I've been hearing around draft circles that I think would make a lot of sense if Ant, which by the way, Ant is Anthony Miller, for anyone who doesn't know that, if Ant misses time, there is a name I would be very interested in seeing the Houston Texans ad. And that's Jamison Crowder of the New York Jets. This is a guy who is known for playing that short third down yardage range. You know what we talk about with Cole Beasley and what he's been able to do as one of the more productive third down wide receivers in the NFL? Jamison Crowder is right in that same category. He's not going to offer you a lot in, say, that 12 to 15 yard range. He's not going to offer you that much in the 20 plus yard range. But he is going to offer you value on third and four, third and three, third and six. He's going to move the ball and he's going to be able to pick up the chains and continue to run the clock. Time and possession is really key for bad teams. And I'm not here to say that the Texans are going to be a bad team. I'm here to say they're not going to be a great team. 
This is all about rebuilding for the future and finding those key players. And Nick Casario has come out and said multiple times, if it makes sense for us to give up a draft pick to bring in a guy, especially a late round draft pick, we are going to listen to the offers. So this would actually be a situation where I could see them offering a seventh round pick, bringing him in. He plays your slot role. It allows you to have time with Nico Collins to figure things out as your true number two. Brandon Cooks remains on your one perimeter. Chris Conley, who had a very good camp. I wouldn't say he had a stellar camp, but he had a very good camp. One of the better free agent additions of what we saw during camp. I would say he plays your number two role until Collins feels comfortable as that new number two in the long-term process. You look at all those things together. Ultimately, yeah, I view this as an opportunity for Texas for the Texans to really add something stable in the slot. If you're not going to do that, what you could always do is you have the speed of Brandon Cooks. You could play him in the slot if you really wanted to. I'm not here to say that that's going to work and you don't want him to run those slot routes, you know, the slants, the outs, the ins, the curls, the button hooks. You don't want that. You want him still going on the comebacks. You still want him going on the on the deep outs. You want him going on the ends. You want him going on the post patterns. You want him on the fly. You want him doing those things that you would see on the perimeter. But you can play him in the slot and do that. What you should do then is call the Washington football team and add Antonio Gandy-Golden. Gandy-Golden is on the practice squad because if he did not make the final 53-man roster... And the Liberty product is a big red zone threat. This is a six foot four wide receiver who offers tremendous value in size, can go up against big time cornerbacks, winning contested catches, come down with the ball. He had a very good preseason, but it wasn't enough to make the final 53 man roster. And I was actually very shocked that they did not add him into the conversation because I thought he would have been a really nice addition to what Houston is trying to do offensively with moving the ball. You want as many red zone targets as possible. And more than that, you want to find young franchise pieces that you can build around. And maybe in a new system, one that's a little bit similar to what Ron Rivera was running, but definitely not as similar, you could be able to get that consistent play from a new guy. And a guy like Antonio Gandy-Golden definitely would have made sense. Another name that would have made sense if you want to go with a slot option, John Brown. John Brown, known as Smoke, was released by the Las Vegas Raiders. He's a perfect slot addition. And he has that good speed, and you saw that in Buffalo, that will allow him to take the top off of defenses to where you could have a 1-2 vertical threat combination with the likes of John Brown and the likes of Brandon Cooks, which then leaves Chris Conley, a big possessional receiver, wide open in the passing game. Those are just a few things I would have done. I do expect Houston at some point this year to add a wide receiver. Maybe they cut back on the defensive backs. Maybe they cut back on the linebackers. Right now, they're carrying eight linebackers, and I don't know really how they're doing it. Uh, They brought back Joe Thomas because of A.J. Moore is going on the injured reserve list, so he'll be out for the next three weeks. But I'm interested to see what they're going to do. The other thing I'm interested to see what they're going to do, and we'll close out the show with this today, is Deshaun Watson. Everyone out there wants to talk about Deshaun Watson. Everyone wants to know what is going on with Deshaun Watson. Because David Culley at Thursday's press conference said, we have not indicated a starter yet. We have not indicated to anybody in the building who is going to be our starter. They never did that. So when that was the case, when that was said, when that was done, that meant, and according if you look at my Twitter page, at Mr. Cole Thompson, that meant Deshaun Watson would be potentially starting week one. I'm going to tell you guys right now, that's not happening. He's not playing. 
Nick Casario, I don't think is going to let him play because of if he plays and he gets hurt, that lessens his value. David Culley is not going to let him play because of the same thing. He really is kind of following orders from the higher ups. And you can tell that that's really the case every single time you go into a presser. Everybody asks about Deshaun Watson. Everybody wants to talk about Deshaun Watson. Nobody's saying anything. Very simple. Yeah, Deshaun's here. He's working out. He's doing stuff. That's it. That's about as much you get. I have no comment at this time. I plead the fifth. Yada, yada, yada. Quiet. That is what it is every single day when you look at Texans camp. That is exactly what you're looking at. So he's not playing this year. At least he's not playing week one. Now, again, because the Texans are leaving him on the 53-man roster, he will still get paid his $10.6 million contract on the final year of his rookie deal. So that new contract, the four-year $156 million extension he signed back in September of 2020, will come into effect starting next season, which then means teams are going to have to put aside money to pay for Deshaun Watson. If he was to be traded right now, he would have only, you know, teams would probably be able to afford him and not really have to worry about anything. Next year is where there's conversations to be had. Because next year, that's when you start to see the contract goes up. It goes from $10.6 million to $30 million a year. $30 million for a quarterback who may or may not be on an active roster for half the season of 2022 based off of how the NFL and the court cases rule against his current predicament that he's in could be a deciding factor on how much his trade value is. But everybody right now is trying to talk about what to make of the Deshaun Watson news. Should Deshaun Watson be traded? Should Deshaun Watson be on the open market? Should Nick Casario lower his asking price? At some point, Nick Casario is going to have to. And unfortunately, I look at the deal that's that's in place according to multiple sources. It's three first round picks. It's two second round picks. It's a, it's a proven player. That's the deal that they want for Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun was cleared of everything, and I mean everything, no buyouts, 100%, yeah, we find you innocent at every single court case. None of this happened. Everything was a lie. All that. That's the offer. And that's an offer that I think you have to make. Because Deshaun Watson arguably is already a top five quarterback in the NFL. But when you have the baggage that could come with the future of his role, with whoever he plays for, the Texans, the Dolphins, Washington, Carolina, Las Vegas, New York, Green Bay. The list goes on and on and on and on. Whoever he plays for, there's going to be a little bit of baggage and there's going to be a little bit of fireback for the fan base. Because you look at, say, Miami and Washington. These are two teams, in my opinion, that have done the best job fixing their culture within the last three seasons. They've done a fabulous job. Ron Rivera has completely changed the narrative of what we think of the Washington football team in one year. And now not only do they look like a contender, they also look like a team that is just a quarterback away and a quarterback that's going to represent this organization in a positive light. Miami, on the other hand, has done a fabulous job of getting away from the Adam Gase nightmare that was three seasons with Ryan Tannehill or four seasons down there. They've done a really good job addressing kind of New England style, but they're bringing in smart players, fixing that defense, and building around Tua Tungavailoa, and on top of that, whoever else is starting at quarterback. So you got to appreciate that for the long-term future. There's going to be pushback from fans, both in Miami and in Washington, D.C., if Deshaun Watson is convicted of anything, or if he has to go into settlement. There is going to be backlash from the organization. And the only way to possibly salvage the backlash from the organization from some people, from some of the fan bases is, hey, 
We gave up a couple first round picks, but we still have a lot of our mid round picks and we're getting him at a bargain price. Houston is also paying it. So right now, I actually understand why Nick Casario is holding on to Deshaun Watson. It's actually a really smart move by him. He does have leverage here because of the second that Deshaun Watson, we find out exactly what the ruling is. That really dictates what his value is for on the open market. And sure, you're probably going to pay him $10.6 million to not play a single down right here in 2021, but you're also potentially getting back two, three, I'd even throw four first round picks in there. If he is cleared of everything, this is a top five quarterback in the NFL. You watched a safety, a box safety get traded for a mid round pick and two first round picks. You watched a cornerback, easily the number one cornerback in the NFL, and Jalen Ramsey go for two first round picks, a third round pick, and a second round pick. Yeah, those are great positions that you need to address. They're not the same level as quarterback. In today's day and age, you win by two ways. Number one, having a stable quarterback, and number two, pressuring that QB on the opposing team. Quarterback is worth multiple, multiple first-round picks. And I don't mean, oh yeah, two first-round picks here. That No, I mean three, four, a top-five quarterback at his position, entering his prime on what is going to be a few years down the line, a very team-friendly deal. It's absolutely worth it. It's 100% worth the value of what you're looking for. On the flip side, if he is convicted of anything, you got to take out a few of those picks. Maybe you get rid of the two second rounders. Maybe you take away a first rounder. You walk away with two first round picks and maybe a third round pick. You're walking away with something. You're not walking away empty handed. But right now I'm hearing offers of like three threes and a fourth. No, you don't do that for a top five quarterback because even if he doesn't play for the next two years, he still has so much upside And when the NFL expands the salary cap because of the new TV deal, he's going to be on a very team-friendly contract that's going to look like nothing. It's absolutely going to look like nothing compared to anything else you see. So for those of you wondering, I do not think that Sean Watson plays this year for the Houston Texans. At the same time, I've said since March, I do not believe Deshaun Watson takes a snap in 2021. I have said this since the very beginning. I do not think he gets traded, and I do not think he takes a snap. Since this court case has been going on, I also believe that when you look at Nick Casario, he is in it for the long haul. And that's one of the biggest things you can take away from him. He is believing in his culture, and more importantly, he is believing in himself. So I have to say, give it time, believe that he is going to get it, just like you believe in the new Believe Texans podcast, that Nick Casario is answering all the questions. It's just going to take some time. And moving to Sean Watson is not going to come easy. But when it does happen... I think you will be pleased with the results of what you get in return. That's going to do it for the very first episode of the Believe Texans podcast. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. Check out all of our great written work at TexansDaily.com. I'll be back later next week as we start previewing the beginning of the 2021 season. We'll go through the offense. We'll go through the defense. We'll go through special teams. And we'll go through my predictions all next week. See you soon, guys. And remember, we are Texans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.